welcome to the Bookish Life Podcast. This is Sarah. And it's Phil. And we are sitting here at the bookshop. That's right. We're sitting in the bookshop. We're about to have a, the dark. a book club. We are. Just the two of us with our That's coffee. Right. That's right. Um, and it's almost fall, Phil. We're I, so close. I'm wearing long sleeves. I know. Sweatshirt. Yep. Oh, I love a good sweatshirt. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, um, is there anything I was thinking about, I mean... On social media, fall mm-hmm. started a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. You know, people getting really excited mm-hmm. about pumpkin spice lattes right. and um, decorating their homes and things like that. But is there anything that you do to sort of commemorate the season change? Well, I relax. Do you? Because it's well, because it's so hot. Like it's like, huh. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> uh, so that's okay. nice. And oh, uh, it's not hot anymore. You mean? Right, right. Okay. Yeah, it's been so hot, and like fall comes along, and I was like. I kind of exhale. Okay. Like, anyway, but uh, well, um, so my favorite non-gift holiday is Halloween. Oh. So like fall begins the countdown to Halloween. Love Halloween. So I love that. Mm-hmm. I love college football Saturdays. Okay. So I watch a lot of college football, which I know you do too. You're a huge college football fan. <laughs> sure. Uh huh. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever makes people Whatever. listen. That's. Right. <laughs> <laughs> We'll have a midweek college football podcast <laughs> during the go. season. Um, that anyway, be fun. Uh, like Tasha and I went and, and decided that like we needed Halloween decorations in our in our mm-hmm. bedroom. Oh, and so we got like decision. some pillows. So that was our big like. Yeah. It's now fall. It was still pretty hot when we did that, but it was like we're close enough. We're all everyone just gets so excited about it. I uh-huh. think it just is like this ushering in mm-hmm. like the end of the year and mm-hmm. and all the holiday stuff and. Um, the older I get, the more I like it. My mom loved fall, so I always oh, think about yeah. her. I love to sit out mm-hmm. with my coffee on the mm-hmm. back porch in the mornings, and that's always nice. Um, do you do a lot of pumpkin-flavored no. items? No. Do no. you not like it, or do you just it, don't care? I don't care. Okay. I've never had a pumpkin-flavored I- item outside of, like, pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving and thought, okay, that's good for me. Yeah. Oh, okay. Eh. What about you? Well, I'm drinking pumpkin spice coffee right Way now. Way to go. But I wouldn't have bought it, but my sister sent some coffee to my house, and it was that flavor. So <laughs> that I was, was like, the flavor oh, that came okay, up. yum. So that, that, you know, and I appreciate it. It's good. Yes, yes. Smell, it makes the store smell good. And, yes, it does. Um, Barry is commemorating fall right now by looking out the window. Yeah. I do love pumpkin pie. Uh-huh. The coffee shop next door has already made some pumpkin pie, oh, and I had a slice yeah. of that. It was pretty good. Um, so I like pumpkin things. I don't usually go out of my way to, to get them, but I'll eat them if they're mm-hmm. a part of me. Um, and then music. Does, does your music change at all? Change? No, music stays the same. Does okay. yours change? Um, well, you know, I, I don't listen to music the way I used to anymore, but when we come to the shop, we always look for like indie bookstore fall playlists <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> and, you know, somebody else kind of curates it yeah. for me. But it's a lot of, like, you know, Bon Iver and, uh-huh. um, um That does sound fall to me. Yeah, it's some Taylor Swift, uh-huh. of course, folklore. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that kind of stuff. So it does, it feels, I think, a little bit more fall. I think Bon Iver is from Wisconsin. So, like, that makes sense. It's Why? cold there. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, I just lost the other person that's on that list a lot. Well, Phoebe Bridgers. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'll, I'm sure I'll think of it in the middle of... This is how this podcast is going to go. Right. The other thing that happens when the weather changes is mm-hmm. Sarah's allergies act up. And yep. so I'm a little stuffy today, a little little slow. I mean, I'm always a little slow, <laughs> a little slower. <laughs> um, 
but I'm still excited to talk about our book. And yes. I cannot wait. I hope I'm wrong, uh-huh. but I'm probably not, about your feelings mm-hmm. about um, our book club book this what morning. What is our book club book this, this morning, Sarah? Well, we are talking about Monsters, A Fan's mm-hmm. Dilemma by Claire Dieterer. Mm-hmm. And um, let me just read a quick synopsis yeah, of the book first. Um, so I'm going to take, I'm going to read just the book jacket synopsis, but I'm going to take out all the like adjectives okay. that talk about how great and amazing and right. stuff that is, right? Um, from the author of the New York Times bestseller Poser and the acclaimed memoir Love and Trouble, a passionate, provocative, oh wait, I forgot to take out the adjectives. <laughs> um, <laughs> cut this out, Matthew. Okay. In this unflinching personal book, Claire Dieterer asks, can we love the work of Hemingway, Polanski, Woody Allen, Miles Davis, or Picasso? Should we love it? How do we balance our undeniable moral outrage with our equally undeniable love of the work? In an age when the monstrousness of human behavior is on constant display, how do we retain our connection to the films, books, and music that have made us feel most alive? This brilliant and electrifying book, oh, I did it again. Um, expands on Dieter's instantly viral essay, What Do We Do With the Art of Monstrous Men?, which shaped the conversation about art and morality in the psychic theater of public condemnation. Okay, everything else is lots of adjectives. Okay. Um, So that's essentially uh, how this book was sold to Mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. It's um, sort of commentary on this question, um, what do we do with this work Mm -hmm. that we love when we find out that the artist... She's usually a man, but she gets into that. Mm-hmm. Um, is a terrible person. Yeah. What you think? Uh, I okay. I'm just gonna have to talk about this. I'm gonna have to spoil it. Like, I, I think it's book club. So so like if you're like there are some things that aren't immediately evident in that description that mm-hmm. get revealed later. Sure. That I think informed my reading of the book. So okay. I thought it was two books. And the first two thirds. It felt almost like three. Yeah. The first two thirds of the book, I was very like, I'm grinding this out. The back third of the book, I thought was excellent. And it was when she started talking about her alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Um, And she talked about. Okay, just stop right there. Yep. Because I am wrong. I thought that you would have liked the first half more than the second half. No. No, I loved how it switched to memoir. Mm hmm. 100%. 100%. Okay. Yeah. Ahead. No, I like that much better. Uh-huh. I wished it had started that way. Yeah. I wish she had woven that in more to the book mm-hmm. because the way she wrote about her addiction and then Chan- Raymond Chandler, who's great, mm-hmm. um, uh, the short story writer who she admires, um, the way she wrote about that I thought was excellent. The conclusion she came to that it's like she, she functionally does separate the art mm-hmm. from the artist yeah. by the end. And she's like, it's not our responsibility mm-hmm. as consumers of art to hold people accountable. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a pretty good place sure, to land, to land uh-huh. especially because I felt like she landed there with some real humility mm-hmm. um, and perspective. This is bad, but I'll say it anyway, because she's never going to listen to this. The first two thirds, I thought, as I, once I read that chapter, I was like, oh, she wrote these as an alcoholic. Like, I thought they were scattered. I thought they were unfocused. Mm-hmm. I thought there was, I thought she was dancing around things. Mm-hmm. 
repeating kind of what were comfortable tropes for her. It felt more like a, a collection of essays or, uh -huh. or articles that were written and maybe compiled later. Yeah, and the, even the topics were good, yeah. I thought, of the chapters. I think so, but too. But then we would wander off on these digressions that just, I thought, didn't enrich the conversation, but instead mm -hmm. just were, what do you call that, like, just her complaining. About general oh, yeah. stuff that I thought wasn't necessarily related. I didn't notice that. I, I enjoyed every chapter, mm -hmm. but it did feel like they were all, especially the first two thirds, very mm -hmm. separate. Yeah. Um, but as I sort of as I sort of think about the structure of this, mm -hmm. and she does say early on, like we're going to talk about this as a fan, as the audience, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. So she uses mm -hmm. this like collective we throughout, mm -hmm. and then one of the chapters that I thought was kind of the oddest but also the most fast one of the most fascinating to me was the Nabokov chapter yep. yeah that was a good chapter and it was kind of right in the middle mm -hmm. and it feels like that's kind of when the switch mm -hmm. happened mm -hmm. because she starts thinking about what it means to be a writer mm -hmm. like how how writers deal with with mm -hmm. things and so she's starting to kind of like like step out of that audience and become mm -hmm. the artist a little bit yep um, and I thought that was really good. And then it kind of moves into mm. the real personal stuff. Cause then she talks about the monstrous women, yep. which I thought was pretty fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> and, and kind of moves on to Raymond Chandler and her own mm -hmm. battle with addiction. And so, yeah, the Nabokov tap, that was really a good chapter. Yeah. Let's and, talk about it. A little yeah. Bit. And cause basically, as I recall, her, her argument is, He's portrayed often as a monster because people, from her perspective, misread Lolita mm -hmm. as a fantasy of him when instead it's a takedown of, yeah. of really the masculine relationship with young girls. Absolutely. Um, and Which I'm sure I've been told that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I never had to read Lolita mm -hmm. for anything. Yeah. Um, I, I did uh, back in college, but and it was, it was one of those things where it just felt, ugh, mm -hmm. you know, yep. because that's yep. how you're supposed yeah, to feel, I right. think. Um, but I didn't have the, the luxury of having conversations with really smart people about Nabokov. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I like that take because I never mm -hmm. really thought of it before. But anyway, go ahead. No, no, that's what I mean. So I think that was a, a great prism for her to mm -hmm. reframe the, 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 the narrative drive of the book yeah. to that point. And I think you're right. I think that was kind of a hinge where, yeah. where the tone changed. Sure. Because anyway, up until that point, I the tone to me had just mostly been cranky. Yeah. And um, I thought which it was is, funny. I didn't think it was cranky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, the uh, that was that was an excellent chapter. Yeah, I thought it was good too. So yeah, and that's I wrote here it moves from collective to personal. Um, and she talks about. Because the great writer trusts that the most terrible feeling is hardly unique. Because the great writer trusts that even the blackest thoughts are ordinary. Mm -hmm. so I was like, that's oh, good. Yeah. That's so good. And that was like kind of the end of that. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that was that was a really interesting chapter to me. It felt like at first I was like, what's going on here, Nabokov? Like he didn't do anything that we know of. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, it sort of shifts that that perspective. Um, so before we get to that, the, the complaining parts, let me see what I wrote down in that section of the book. Um, I really learned a lot in the anti-Semite chapter, mm -hmm. um, which is funny. She talks about the stain and we can talk about that. Yeah, the stain's yeah. a good image. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Certainly. It's like, it's, 
can't do anything about it. You didn't ask for it. And it just mars the work. Yeah. It just, you can't get rid of it, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, well, dang, I didn't know that about Virginia Woolf. <laughs> now, <laughs> now she's staying for a minute. Right. But um, so there's that. Um, I liked, uh, The Genius Chapter was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, might have been a little over my head. What did you think about The Genius that Chapter? That was the one where I felt like it was like... I felt like we were just grinding an axe okay. in that chapter. I felt like, because there was a lot of like, um, it, it was very much woven in with her perception of patriarchy and toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily unfair, but it's like, I feel like if you've made it to that point, you're on board with that idea. Like you get it. I mean, I mean, I think okay. most of us who are going to open this book at this point, mm-hmm. get it. Yeah. Right. So we don't then need to, like immerse ourselves mm-hmm. further in it. I think you could have talked about the the problem of genius and it's true. You know, like I was just talking about loving college football and I'm a big sports fan. It, it, it crosses all fields, right? Like athletes are allowed to do mm-hmm. things that ordinary people aren't allowed to do and get away with because yeah. they have an exceptional skill mm-hmm. that people value. Right. Um, and you know, this is, this is just, this is just the way things are. <laughs> well, and, and I think I think you're right, and that's kind of what she says. Yeah. It's just how we do things. Right. But again, one of the things that she does well, and that I think makes each of these kind of grinding away mm-hmm. chapters mm-hmm. kind of interesting, is she spends a whole lot of time showing you how that's true. Yeah, you know, she talks about all the white rock stars. Yeah. She talks about. I love the section about the poets where Robert Frost's daughter. Talks about how these poets would get together and like throw stuff at each other yeah. just because the word's not right or right. whatever. Um, but they are. We, we let them do this because they're just so good at what they do, yes. right? Um, but then she says towards the end, and the quality of genius is justifying bad behavior, but maybe it's the other way around. Maybe we've created this idea of genius to serve our own attraction to badness. Yeah, and I struggle with that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing, too, I struggle with, like – to me, in the context of art, mm-hmm. um, you don't get these types of works without obsessiveness. You know, yeah. like every virtue, every great virtue is also a great vice. Every great vice mm-hmm. also can present as a great sure. virtue. Um, and so a lot of these people, the price that is paid mm-hmm. is a difficult life. Sure. We were talking about this. I was talking about this with Matthew, and he said similar like the same thing, but he was like, a lot of this also has like, these folks are, a lot of them are mentally ill. Yes. They're dealing with a lot of other things too. And this is the one thing. But that, but that mental illness is what gets you the art. Yeah. Right. Like if it looked like what everybody else thought, it wouldn't Mm -hmm. be remarkable in any way. So, you know, like I love Jason Isbell. Right. Mm -hmm. And in his, uh, last, his album after Nashville sound, he was married to Amanda Shires. Mm -hmm. And she kicked him out of the house. Yeah. She could not live with him while he was recording that album. They didn't get into the details. I don't know. I mean, I assume he was unpleasant. Sure. Um, in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And so she kicked him out. And I think Isabel's a great songwriter. And that was the price that everybody paid to get that album out. You can't get that album out. You can't get a lot of this stuff out if you want to work nine to five and go home and have dinner. Play with your, like, it just doesn't. It's a good thing that he had someone there to take care of the kids. Right. I know. <laughs> so he could get that album out. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. But like that's but yeah, I get what you're saying. That's that's yeah. I mean, I think there is an element of 
you know, when we went, when we talked a few months ago about the Nick Hornby book about Dickens and Prince, mm -hmm. right? Sure. Like those guys were obsessive. Mm -hmm. The amount that they produced would by necessity infect every relationship that they have mm -hmm. because of how, how much they thought about their work and how much time they spent on their work. And I think it created a bunch of stunted relationships. Yeah. Um, and it created a stunted human. You can't invest that much of yourself in one niche area of your life and be a fully developed person. I don't want to make excuses for it. This is humanity, sure. like from my perspective. And I think that's kind of what she comes to at right. the end, right? Right, yeah. Um, well, so back to um, Isabel getting to leave and mm -hmm. go do his art. Yeah. So, so she talks a little bit about uh, mm -hmm. the first probably half of the book is the laundry list of, of men, you know, right. Michael Jackson and Polanski, Lee Allen, and she spends a lot of time talking about the stain and mm -hmm. she talks about the genius and she talks about, you know, all of that stuff. Um, and then she does talk a little bit about women, um, and some of the monstrous women mm -hmm. in our midst. Yep. And she spends a lot of time with Joni Mitchell and Doris Lessing. Mm -hmm. Um, because to her, she says what makes a woman monstrous isn't pedophilia right. or you know, being on heroin and, you know, raping women or anything yeah. like that. It is leaving your children. Yeah. So what were your thoughts on that? I'd never really thought about that mm -hmm. and I, it didn't, what I thought about with, uh, again, I don't want to make excuses for behaviors, but there is a biological component to this as well, right? Like when women are pregnant, mm -hmm. they get three different hormone washes on their brain that build <laughs> empathy and compassion. Sure. Like that's a biological fact. Mm -hmm. Men don't have those. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that men therefore have an excuse to never be empathetic or compassionate? It does not. Right. But it does mean that by and large for men, we have to be more intentional about those things. And we have to allow ourselves and our behavior to be conditioned by the women in our lives who have had those things. But what if you're a female artist yep. and you have the same drive that someone like Jason yeah. Isbell does? And you have this, you have art right. that needs to come you know, out. She wrote about her guilt, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And, and she also and, wrote about, is my art as important mm -hmm. as my children? Mm -hmm. Right. And the reason she experiences that, I think, is largely biological. Mm -hmm. I don't think... So I don't, men don't feel guilt just because they biologically the same, can't. Well, they do, but there's a difference. I mean, there is a biological... It's a nature-nurture argument, right? Like, so I think society, I would agree with her, society reinforces that dichotomy, mm -hmm. and society is going to hold a woman more accountable than men. Mm -hmm. So that's going to make it harder for men to behave appropriately. And it's going to make it harder for women to deviate from that norm, yeah. just like any other cultural sure. marker. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think to not, uh, in your ethics here, like the, the ethical structure she's created to not account for the biological differences, which is not popular mm -hmm. in our day and age. Yeah. But I don't think in any way undermines feminism as a dude. I mm -hmm. mean, I'm, my, my model of feminism is like everybody should be treated equally and have equal okay. opportunities. Um, but, uh, but I don't, I think you have to account for those sorts of things. If you're going to go down this, this trail, the biology of it, you, you, hmm. you don't have to use it as a permission structure, but you do have to account for that of things around children specifically different things I think are happening in a woman's brain than a man's brain. And we know great and devoted fathers, and we also yeah. know mothers who... That's also hard to do without knowing what, I guess, the brain looks like before the child 
too. You right. know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, because maybe there's just some people that are more predisposed to, to sure. being nurturing. Oh, I yeah. don't remember being particularly <laughs> loving and empathetic nurturing. and yeah. like, you know, thinking I, well, I just, I don't remember feeling uh-huh. that way, but maybe I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I had some big goal or creative endeavor, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I'm not sure how that would mm-hmm. have panned out in my life. Um, but I don't know. I thought it was interesting. And, and certainly it's not like they w- left their children to like die mm-hmm. in a ditch. You know, they made sure they were taken right. care of and then left to do what they had to do. Um, but it's just, it's interesting how that is, especially with the Joni Mitchell. And mm-hmm. you know, she doesn't paint Joni Mitchell as this angel either. Like right. she's, you know, but then she also says, well, she's an asshole, but so are all the men. Yeah. You know, so she's trying to play the boys game too. Mm-hmm. But anyway, she doesn't like paint her as this, you know, hero necessarily. Mm-hmm. And there are also women who are able to make great art and raise a family. Mm-hmm. She t- talks about them as well, Carol King and yep. and some of the others. Um, but Joni Mitchell was like the big rock mm-hmm. star mm-hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess there's some. She talked about some of the books, some of her memoirs and interviews and things where she's talked about it was her lot in life to, to do this since her grandparents couldn't kind of thing. But, um, I don't know. I just thought it was, it was pretty interesting to see how well, different it is to be a woman yep. and a monster than a mm-hmm. man and a monster. Yeah. And certainly, uh, the women are, are not going to get into these like sexual problems mm-hmm. that the men find themselves in and allow for. Sure. Um, did you think of, um, Ivy Pakoda at all? And she talked about the violence, like Sylvia Plath. And- I did. <laughs> I did think about that book. Um, I did too. And uh, and the ways that in which Pakoda tried to kind of challenge some conceptions around that mm-hmm. um, violence. And- mm-hmm. I did. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember what all my thoughts were, but yes. I'm trying to find mine as well. And I just for reflection, any- we're talking about seeing her down. Yeah, the book Singer Down that we both read and loved. Mm -hmm. And and we're talking about the Lady Lazarus chapter Mm -hmm. where she talks about um, Solanus who killed or shot Andy Warhol. Yes, that was was interesting. Yeah. Shot the wrong guy. Shot the wrong guy. Uh Um, But that was kind of a heavy chapter for me. Mm -hmm. Um, She talks a lot about, um, she compares her to Plath and then says, Mm -hmm. well, I know I can't really compare Solanus. I forgot her first name. Yeah. To Sylvia Plath, um, because she was violent to other people and Plath was violent to herself. Um, but they were both sort of fighting against, um, this patriarchy and they were, you know, she had this manifesto that said all kinds of crazy, 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 crazy things about, Mm. you know, getting rid of men. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. She really wanted to get rid of all the men. Yeah. Like literally Literally. she wanted to do that. Um, I'm, I'm personally glad that she did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there was a, a great quote in that chapter. Um, and this was from, is it Mark Fisher? There's an article that she read, the author, Claire Dieterer, mm-hmm. and she kept referring to this guy over and over throughout. I think his name was Mark Fisher. But um, that he said in one of his articles about Solanus, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. It's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of patriarchy. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that quote? Like, how does that make you feel? I think it's true. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I, could, I think about the end of the world all the time. Yeah. I can't even imagine how capitalism would end. Yeah. You know, like it just seems like an easier ending uh-huh. for my brain. Yeah. But yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Um, but that, that she did talk a lot about mental health in that chapter too, mm-hmm. referring to Solanus. Mm-hmm. And, and there was also this argument she brought up about like, are your actions like how they influence the work because all she's known for is shooting Andy Warhol. Yeah. For a long time for yeah. trying to shoot Andy Warhol. Um, eventually like her manifesto got picked up and republished and they use it in like criticism classes and things like that. Um, but I don't think she's ever been like a serious no artist right. or anything. Um, if you shoot Andy Warhol, it's going to overshadow. And the same thing with Plath. <laughs> right. Unless you read poetry mm-hmm. you probably don't know a whole lot about mm-hmm. what Plath writes and mm-hmm. how she writes but you know she stuck her head in an oven and killed yeah. herself so I remember when I was in college I went to a Halloween party and someone was dressed up as Sylvia Plath and they had a, ca- a cardboard oven around their oven head, around their oh head. I know it was terrible huh. but really good too yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, so. it, what it, it, Yes. How how does the book, or does it inform how you're going to consume your art? Um, I think you know by the end of it, the fact that she moves from this collective we as an audience and as fans to this really personal. This is mm-hmm. what I think, and this is what I do like her, for herself. I think that's the that's the answer. Is like it is totally personal. Like if. Um, and she talks about that calculator that you could like put in what they did mm-hmm. and like how long ago it was right. and whatever, whatever. And it can tell you like how many hours you can consume of that meat, of that content or whatever. Um, we don't have that, but it's different for everybody else. Like, um, and there was a, another comment in there about, um, the anti-Semite chapter. They were like, well, what can we watch? Like there's like nothing to, cause everyone was terrible for mm-hmm. a long period of time. Um, but I guess, yeah, I think it's just a personal thing. Like, there are certain things that I just can't, like, it's really hard for me to listen to Michael Jackson music now. Yeah. It doesn't bother Matthew as much, mm-hmm. for whatever reason. He just, he likes, he's more connected to the music, probably, yeah. than I was. Um, oh, and that chapter about Miles Davis was really good. Yes, and nobody wants to not like Miles Davis. No. But gosh, he doesn't really give you much to like. No. Except for the old music. Right. Um, but I think, you know, if you if you have a connection to a, a piece of art and it changes you and mm-hmm. it becomes like kind of shapes mm-hmm. you, right? It evolves with you and it um I don't know, kind of walks you through these different times in your in your life mm-hmm. and then you hear about something terrible. What can you can't just that can't be that's who you are, yeah. Well, and like I before we started, I told you about this album that I'd sent to Matthew mm-hmm. that I just that just came out today and I'd read about it that was recorded at Parchman Farm, which is the Mississippi State Penitentiary of prisoners singing their Sunday morning hymns and spirituals and whatnot. Well, you had people who were on death row yeah. in that band, you had people that were in prison for rape sure. in that band. You had people, and it's like, does it make it okay because they're in prison? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's powerful. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I don't listen to a lot of religious music 
outside of Sunday mornings, despite the fact that I'm a pastor, because I feel like a lot of religious music that I listen to has no resonance. Mm-hmm. This does. Okay. And it's like relevant to our conversation. How do you, how do you process that? Yeah. Right now they're not making much money off of it. Sure. Um, but still it's like, what do I owe anything to their victims mm-hmm. for listening? I'll never know who they are, but it's yeah. like, Anyway, it's just, it, it all, it can all get very complicated sure, very yeah. quickly um, when you're talking especially about art mm-hmm. because art is not, it's, it's different than a product. Yeah. I think capitalism is what makes it all so murky. Mm-hmm. You know, like if we could just consume the things we love and not have to worry about, if you didn't have to pay the artist? Well, that's not even what I mean, yeah. I guess. But yeah, kind of. If you, Anytime you watch a Miramax movie, right, Harvey Weinstein probably still gets a cut. Yeah. Like, it's not a big cut, but he gets a cut of Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, I don't know how to do that. Yeah, I don't know the answer. You know, and so do you, you know, what do you do? Um, and, uh, I... I you know, where she lands is you just have to make personal decisions mm-hmm. around everything. Yeah, you do you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which isn't, like, I don't know. As I think about that, it's a gratifying decision because it does let me off the hook in some ways. Because mm-hmm. it's like, well, I can just decide to go back to listening to Ryan Adams, for example. But you'll know how you feel. Mm-hmm. Like, if it makes you feel, ugh, and you just right. can't enjoy it. And maybe, it could be, maybe if it gets to that point. Where you yeah. turn it on, you're like, Ugh. Yeah, I guess it's how big the stain is, right? Because mm-hmm. it, you know, we've all stained a shirt before and probably all kept wearing it if the stain is wearing small Wearing a stained enough. shirt right now. Uh-huh, but if the stain's too big, <laughs> you just, you, you, even unless you have real low standards, it's You can't go, ignore it. Right? You can't ignore it. Yeah. Yeah, I think the stain is such a good metaphor for it, uh-huh. for sure. Yeah, but. and I think that was one of the best parts of the book was thinking about it. Mm-hmm. That image that she she created. For yeah, that. for sure. I think it's. I would have think I would have liked it better if it had been the stain instead of monsters. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, the, there's a. I mean, a pretty complicated, you know, definition of monsters. Mm-hmm. You know, she says, I don't even know what this means anymore. Right. Um, and, but the stain was pretty. Yeah. I I don't think there's a lot of nuance there. For sure. You know, even with Polanski, she talked about she did, and I appreciated it. Contextualized his life. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And how like. You know, parents survived the Holocaust, you know, was married to Sharon Tate. I mean, he endured some trauma. Sure. Doesn't excuse stat doesn't excuse rape. Yeah. But at least it, it does contextualize it and muddy the term monster, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and anyway. I'm sure a lot of those guys on the album would be called Yeah. Monsters. Well, I mean, there's even that section towards the middle where we talked about the Nabokov chapter where she's like, am I, am I a monster? And how yeah. we're all capable of uh-huh. monstrous things. Right. So, yeah, the guilt of leaving her kids to go right or, mm-hmm. um, you yeah. know, whatever it is. So, yeah, not a very, like, here's the, here's the, Here's the solution to this problem mm-hmm. kind of book, but it certainly makes you think about the way you consume things. Yeah, and I think you it does. Things and um, what's important to you, and and just kind of the differences between, you know, the art and the fans of that art mm-hmm. and and like really loving it, you know. Mm-hmm. So she does spend a lot yep. of time talking about love and beauty at the end, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, it made me wonder, 
we probably need to stop soon. But I was I saw a list this morning of of banned books, and typically when a society bans a work of art, it is typically because of the work and not the artist. Mm-hmm. And it made me wonder, like. how how it is we made that distinction like we ban like we're we're pretty comfortable banning things because of the content like lolita Mm -hmm. but we're less comfortable banning things because of the person who produced them it's i mean you know what i mean it's like a it's just a social nuance yeah right like there's no there's no move to ban polanski films Mm -hmm. there's people who won't go see them um but there's no move to ban them because if the, the films themselves are If the films themselves, but if he made an incredibly offensive film, sure. there would be a move to ban that film. I get what um, you're saying. Yeah, that's and, interesting. Yeah, well, I think we've been told, and, and it might go back to, and she may have even said this in like the critic chapter, I can't mm-hmm. quite remember it, but like this sort of social thing about separating the art from the artist. Yeah. Like we're, I remember in college when we're talking about you know literary criticism that's one of the lenses Mm -hmm. we look through this is just the art all by itself Mm -hmm. you don't know anything about the person who wrote it Mm -hmm. you know um and i like reading things that way Mm -hmm. like i like going into things blind yeah and just looking at it um as as the art itself but um i don't know it just feels different with things like music and music mostly mm-hmm. <laughs> well and i think it's because this whole fandom that we have now where it's like oh my gosh i love this i want to find out everything about you right and you can and you, you can, can find and they out interact lot. with you on social media and mm-hmm. um again like most things that we talk about um social media really has changed yep. the way we, we we do things like that and think about it but i don't know like if i go to an art museum and see something i really like I'm not, I probably won't go down a rabbit hole and like mm-hmm. find out if this person meets your ethical standards. Yeah, I'll just like sort of look at what time period it right. was and like where he was, where he lived and move on. Yep. But I don't know. Well, I don't care that much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. really geek out about pe- no. people no. that way, but yeah, I, we, this, we can wrap up whenever you want to, but like one of the, rules I have for my own thing is like, I really don't care if somebody's a jerk. I'm not trying to be their friend. Like mm-hmm. if you hear that they're yeah. like not always not like, I'm not hanging out with you. I just sure. care if you're a good tennis player. Yeah. Like now there's lines like don't abuse your wife. Yeah. Don't commit a felony. But like in terms of like, Oh, I've heard he's difficult to be around. Well, then don't be around him. Just watch him play tennis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I mean, I'd be difficult too if I had to play tennis all the time. Right? I mean, anyway, it's like, yeah. you know, there's some of this stuff. It's like, but I that's those degrees she yeah. was talking about. Like being just yeah. a cranky person is one yeah. thing. Being, being a pedophile is, is different. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, and she does kind of start listening and she's like, if we keep doing this, especially with athletes and rock stars, we're going to be here all day. Right. Which and is just stone cold. Cool. Although I will say, Athletes commit felonies at a lower rate than the general public does. Well, that's we good just to know. know about them. Yeah, like nobody cares if I commit a felony, sure. well, but they definitely care if uh, you know Dak Prescott, who's the Cowboys' quarterback. See, I wouldn't even know who that was. Right, 
Let's know more about you than that guy. Would you? That's that's very nice. You care if I committed with the Lions. One last thing I'll touch on, and then we should wrap it up. But she does talk about, I love the Wagner and the Stephen Mm -hmm. Fry chapter Mm -hmm. two. Mm -hmm. And this is another conversation that I had Mm -hmm. with Matthew last night. We were talking about the book. Um, He's like 100% where the time period does matter. Mm -hmm. And even he was talking about Aerosmith and all the crazy, terrible things that Stephen Tyler did. And it was just like, okay to have sex with 14 year olds Mm -hmm. in the 70s Mm -hmm. i was like really it was i mean but i guess if we looked at like the books the laws i'm not sure when all that stuff changed but um so i guess time does play a role in it which is why it's encouraging that we're now noticing these things are terrible and not trying not to Mm -hmm. perpetuate these well you know (laughs) like for most of human history you were married and procreating by 14 yeah, that's what he said. I mean, and that's because you were dead by 36. Yeah. So, you know. Now you're not even now you're together. Old, with, you're right, not, you're yeah. still young. Not even married until yeah, you're 40. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I think that uh, there is, anyway. Yeah. So you can read that and find out what you what you think about what the you whole think, dear listener. time thing. But anyway, okay. I guess that's it. I'm starting to really ramble, so we'll go. We will wrap it up. Yeah, that was a fun book, though. I'm glad we read yeah, it. Yeah, that was a good one to read. It gave us plenty to discuss, sure. I think. Yeah. So if you're interested in Monsters by Claire Dieter, we have it in the shop. You can find it on Bookshop or listen to it on Libro FM. Um, anything you want to go out with, Phil? No, no. We'll be back in a couple weeks to talk about what we read in, in September. September, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have a short list because I'm reading a very long book. So. Oh, what are you reading? That's very long. Matterhorn by Carl Marlantis. Oh, sounds boring. Just kidding. It's about Vietnam. Oh, yeah, I didn't think that. Yeah. Cool. I like Vietnam. Yeah. Stories. I think I'm glad I didn't. Uh, this book's making me quite glad. Yeah, for sure. But I'm never going to complain about how comfortable my bed is. Okay. Stay tuned. Yeah, Find out right. more. <laughs> All right. Well, have a good one. Okay, bye, everybody. Bye.